welcome to the Mancunian candidates here on Fab Radio International and Alice Podcast. Uh, for all you podcasters, we are officially a podcaster, which is doing very well. Thank you to you downloading. Uh, my name is Paul Ripley, and over in the corner, back from the USA, is Mike Royce. I'm back. I'm back. He's I'm back. Here. He's back. I'm here. Um, we've so done the show talk about being uh, off the grid. Yeah. Thanks to Vodafone, um, I've, I, there are so well, many people out there that are. Go- are you still alive? Are you still alive? Well, well, yes, I am. I, I just went completely off the grid with the help of Vodafone, as I explained on last week's show. But hey, it's okay because I got ten pound compensation. Yeah, so I haven't apologies to anyone who downloaded the podcast last week or listened to the show live. It wasn't just a, a rant about Vodafone; it was allegedly a political radio show as well. I wasn't going on about it very long. I could have said Only a lot 30 more. minutes. They were incompetent on a level that I can't get my head round. And can I say, I do I believe think... it's a hack. I don't believe it's a computer glitch. And I wish Vodafone had just admit it. These companies at the moment, because of all this Chinese cyber terrorism and Russian cyber terrorism, companies are terrified of admitting hey, we were hacked, I'm really sorry about that, because the share price plummets by 15% the day they do it. So they don't admit that, and they put it, they put it down to a technical glitch or anything else. But you know what? You should be honest about it. And I do not for one minute think it's a technical glitch. I think that last week, sorry, and, and if you think I'm wrong, Vodafone, well, you know what you can do. You can take legal action, can't you? I, I think, Vodafone, that you were hacked. And I think that that's why every single customer of Vodafone found themselves in foreign lands with literally no internet, no phone, no communication whatsoever. I can see this has affected you in a big way. Still, it's really still hacked about me it. off. Yeah, now, right. the only good thing is I was on a boat for quite a while and I wouldn't have needed it anyway, Ooh, but it's okay. not the point. Uh, we've been this year, this show uh, for a few years now and um, it feels like we started the show with the idea of just do this you know, show, soap podcast, and you know things are quite hot at the moment regarding Trump uh, and what was going on. Well, we uh, had to write content yeah, at that point. Yeah, uh, and yeah. now, I'm not only am I proud of this show and this, this podcast, but I'm proud of, of where we've been throughout the last few years, and I've never known a time where politics has affected the normal person in the street, uh, not only here in the UK, but uh, certainly in America, where divided thoughts and divided ideas are, are to an, uh, a level which is close to civil war uh, and we've been there monitoring this and, and, and talking about it Mike and it's, mm. it's a terrible time I think so I'm glad we're there but it's terrible it's like well, if a double edged sword if you listen to the earlier shows if you see them find them on podcast and yeah. you ever listen to them I'm talking years ago you will find that this show has been, and I, I'm not over-egging the pudding when I say this, the, we've been scarily prophetic about bad things that have come to pass. Yeah. We, we were, I wasn't dismissing Trump, uh, as a lot of people were, and me and Paul were very aware that he could have got in, and he did. Um, we've been aware of a lot of things. We've been while everybody else was drinking the Corbyn Kool-Aid, we've been here giving a healthy dose of realism about the man's actual lack of talent and where it may lead you to having no viable opposition and, and the consequences of that. I think we've laid out a lot of things. Um, I wish we were prophesizing good things, 
we've we've ended up over the last few years having to just deal with crap. I mean, it's just been awful. It's been absolutely dreadful. We've had about three years now where if you went back, say, just four years, it's a, it's a utopia compared to what we've got now. Yeah. It really is. You, the US was quite stable. I'll admit it wasn't ideal that Obama had lost control of the House of Representatives, but I've offered up opinions on that on the show. And the, the problem is whenever the Democrats win, they reach across the aisle and try and get bipartisan government going. And whenever the Republicans win, they get a steamroller out and they push everybody out of the way and get everything done that they want to get done. And that is why the country slips slowly to the right, progressively over decades. Because when the Democrats are in government, they don't act like they've won. They don't act like they, they've got a mandate to just do what they want. And that's it. Back in the old days, this worked because the Republicans weren't a bunch of psychopaths. Well, I think one of the main things we've seen over the last few years is the use and the lies. And here in the UK, we have a thing called Ocom. So if our TV and broadcast services, uh, we've got to say one person's opinion, if it's on the left-hand side of, of politics, they've got to have the same amount of time given to the person on the right-hand side. In America, they don't have Ofcom and such. Uh, and that's Evolved. I mean, you look clearly at when Trump started talking about a birth certificate for Obama. Uh, he found out in 2012 that it had been produced, I think 2011, 2012, it had been produced by Hawaii. The full thing was out there. But he's still talking about it for three more years afterwards, saying he didn't have one. So the lies in the conspiracy world has just gone crazy over the last few years. The, pro the problem crazy. is... And the people like Boris Johnson are taking advantage of this and Cummings and all the rest yeah, of they're, it. Yeah, they're all doing it. and They're trying to infect the United Kingdom with this, with this, with this disease, this paranoid um, fantasy land that everybody's got imposed upon them in the United States. The Dominic Cummings finds it useful because when people are believing in multiple conspiracy theories they they start to disbelieve everything they start to question the news they start to question the newspapers proper media outlets that are doing a decent job they don't believe them and the 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 problem was before trump in america you you had um you had like alex jones and people like that they'd be they they, they were seen clearly to be fringe nutters yeah and, niche yeah, niche yeah. World. and what you've got with trump in the white house because he he just remember he was a massive massive proponent of the birther movement that is a movement where they propagated a lie about obama that he wasn't american he wasn't he wasn't born in hawaii he was he was not an american and it was disproved He's got his birth certificate. Everybody found his birth certificate. And instead of admitting that they got it wrong, they still carried on. And that was the, the beginning of, of, of Trump's descent yeah, into this. And, and now Trump has surrounded himself with people like Steve Bannon. And Steve Bannon and Dominic Cummings, they were both in a very similar role. Um, Steve Bannon was the right-hand man to Trump. And Dominic Cummings is still the right-hand man to to uh, Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister. They are New World Order guys, and this is something we're not used to. People aren't aware of these people and what they... Uh, if I can just explain who these people are. They, 
when whenever you were at university you'd always or at any any college or even at school you'd always have somebody who was that outsider who he sort of hated everything he he read enough about politics but he'd only read the uh, as you say the conspiracy sort conspiracy sort of bias uh, stuff about the government lies to you. There's the deep state. There's the there's a, an ongoing conspiracy. Um, then you and it's how far they go down the rabbit hole. Some can yeah, go full let's, blown let's David. It, yeah, let's get it quite straight. They've I always mean, been around though. They've always been around from the days of like the the Americans never landed on the moon. Et cetera, always, et cetera. yeah. And it's like you said, it's been a small thing, and people. Yeah. It's been fun to watch and yeah. watch the videos on YouTube. It's been quite fun when it turns serious. It, well, you've got you've it, got Steve gone, Bannon yeah, and Dominic Cummings are the real deal. They are full blown conspiracy nutcases that believe that they have to destroy the current political system, and and our society needs to be restructured. And they're not bothered. Their approach to this is: it you can't make an omelette without cracking a few eggs, and we're the eggs. Let's be clear on that. Yeah, when you say we, you talk about the general population. Yeah, the general population that are affected by all the stuff, like the stuff that went on in the Commons yesterday, that makes the average guy in the street go, I don't quite understand what's going on, it's so confusing, and all I know is I feel powerless. And the only time I feel like I've got power is when we have a vote. And at that point, who do I vote for? I'm being lied to by so many people. And then the problem is the average guy in the street is coming to put his cross next to his uh, his candidate. And he's got to choose between certain people. And you've got Nigel Farage lying his arse off. You've got, Bre- you know, his, him and his Brexit party. You've still got the remnants of UKIP that have gone more fringe and right wing and, and Robinson. Uh, they're, they're like EDL now. And then you've got, the Tories are, they're, I mean, this is the most manic, right-wing, rabid Tory government I've seen. They, they, this makes Thatcher seem a little bit rational and restrained by comparison, because this is, this is a government that you've got now that's happy to prorogue Parliament, and they knew it was happy illegal. to break the law. Yeah, they want to break the law. Look at what's happened this week. We, he, because he'd gone over the date in the Ben agreement uh, and uh, the and, and that bill said that if you don't haven't got an agreement in place voted for by such a date you have to ask for a three month extension so he sent a letter to the EU asking for the three month extension that he was legally obliged to do otherwise he'd be in contempt of parliament and could be literally arrested and put in a jail cell so he sent it but he didn't sign it. Now, I don't know if they looked into this uh, enough, but certainly when I read this in the news, there were a lot of people going, oh, that's clever, because that's not legally bad. Wrong, 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 numbskulls. No, wrong, 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 wrong. You are in office and you send that. You can send that as an email. You do not have to physically sign it at all. Dude. It is it is accepted automatically. And the um, the other side of it then, though is he sent a personal letter saying, don't give us an extension. I want to crash out with no deal. And he signed that one. That's his personal letter. Have you ever heard 
anything like this. In the history of the United Kingdom, nothing like this has ever gone on. It is a lawless, out-of-control government where they they believe that, that for some reason they believe they can do whatever they want to do and there will be no no penalties to them. It's a crazy, crazy world, like we said before. Did, were you shocked at that letter? No, I'm not shocked. I'm just saddened. That he, didn't, that he sent it's, two letters? He's like a little, ch- little child uh, and who's, who's just you know going home and taking his ball home with him. Do you remember uh, Gascoigne? Paul Gascoigne? Yeah, yeah. And you remember that uh, during the national anthem, he'd always stick his tongue out, yeah. a cheeky monkey, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. And then everybody went, "Oh, um, well, it's the semi-final World Cup. Is he? He won't do that because it's too disrespectful." Do you remember that? I'd and while well, the media were going mad, going, "Going, okay. what is he going to stick his tongue out with yeah. the national anthem?" Because that was the one where um, you remember the uh, Euro, wasn't it? Yeah, Euros. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. And it, we finally got there. We got we we were at the uh, semis. semis, and everyone was. It was the most patriotic moment. Everyone was in full blown, yeah. you know, nationalistic fervor over this. And the papers, they, they were literally going, "Oh, is he or isn't he?" Because at the time, he'd scored lots of goals, and he was he was very much a hero of the UK. Absolutely, one. yeah, the yeah. English hero. So, yeah, and when it came to it, he just very quickly darted his tongue out as if he was just licking his lip and then put it back in again and and that was his cheeky way of going no I'm not going to be disrespectful but there that's just that's a little bit and that's what that letter struck me as it struck me as Boris Johnson I said I'm not going for it so I'm not going to sign it pathetic pathetic Right, we talked about um, Trump over the past many, many months, and we talked about um, what's going on here regarding Brexit. But is it all coming to a well, coming to the fore? Is it coming to the end? Are we at the tipping point, really? So, have a listen to this. Our top story right now, though, is the damning testimony today from one of the few people who was in the room as Donald Trump's aides and fixers hatched the entire Ukraine plot. Bill Taylor was the top U.S. diplomat for Ukraine. He objected to any effort at extracting a bribe from Ukraine to help Donald Trump get reelected. And he did so at the time in writing in those now infamous texts saying it was, quote, crazy to condition security assistance on Donald Trump's political campaign efforts. So this scene today is certainly not what Donald Trump wanted to see. You're watching Mr. Taylor go through security and make his way through Capitol Hill to tell his story, to recount his evidence. He ultimately spent hours with lawmakers behind closed doors. And how did it land? Well, here's how one Democrat summed it up. In my 10 short months in Congress, it's not even noon, right? And this is the, my most disturbing day in Congress so far. Very troubling. Very troubling. Other accounts suggest that reaction was shared in the room. Other House Democrats said they recounted disturbing details that Mr. Taylor shared, that as he went through the methodical evidence and notes that he'd taken, it provoked sighs and gasps as he depicted the workings of an alleged criminal conspiracy at the highest levels of the Trump administration. So right now, before we bring in our experts, and as I mentioned, we have some great ones tonight, I want to walk through the key points that Taylor made which have just come into our newsroom here in this past hour. One, he drew a direct line between Ukrainians doing this political favor for Trump in exchange for military aid. That was contingent 
on the bribe that Donald Trump was soliciting, forcing Ukraine to probe the DNC and the Bidens, and that he wanted a public declaration they would do it. Let's stop right there. That is key. You have someone who was inside this process saying the process was to extort a bribe from Ukraine. Now, Congress and prosecutors may ultimately decide if that, that evidence, leads to a crime or a high crime. So that comes down the road. But what's new tonight is that there is an official on the record asserting it, which is significant. And in Mr. Taylor's 15-page opening statement, which has now just become public, he offers a peek into what he told that room of investigators on impeachment today. He lays out his background as a diplomat, how he came out of retirement at the request of Secretary Pompeo, only to get to Ukraine and find a, quote, weird combination of encouraging, confusing, and ultimately alarming circumstances. An irregular, informal channel of U.S. policymaking on Ukraine that turned on Mr. Giuliani. That matters because it is new confirmation of what you've already heard about, what we've been reporting about, the reason why the president's close to impeachment, that there is the allegation of a shadow foreign policy doing the bidding of Mr. Trump's reelection. It's also a corroboration of what the whistleblower alleged, of what the White House call notes said, depicting Donald Trump, assigning Giuliani to extort political favors from Ukraine. Giuliani, of course, is now under criminal investigation as well, and I have more on that later tonight. Now, here's another point you have to understand to see why today was so big. Taylor today has new details of incriminating evidence against Trump that he says, this ambassador, he personally heard an unidentified voice on the phone stating that Ukraine's aid would be held up at Trump's direction. More evidence of the plot. And then later he learned that a key official directly told the Ukrainian leaders the security assistance money would not come until their president committed to pursue the Biden probe Trump wanted. That's bad. Now, if at this point in the broadcast you think, is this kind of stuff we've heard before? The answer is yes, but a special kind of yes. This incriminating evidence is repetitive in the worst possible way for President Trump. This is the same damning plot. Money for Biden probe, repeated by different people at different times, which Taylor says ultimately made him, quote, very concerned, so concerned he sent the text that we all know about in the, in the whole debate that everyone's been having about what it means when someone says don't condition aid on re-election favors. So today Congress gets the context for that whole series of exchanges, which ultimately led to a phone call with Donald Trump's loyalist, his appointee Gordon Sondland. And here's what Taylor told the Congress today, quote, during that phone call, Ambassador Sondland said Trump told him he wants Zelensky, the Ukrainian leader, to state publicly Ukraine will investigate Burisma and alleged Ukrainian interference in 2016. That's the whole DNC Biden stuff. And he said, quote, everything was dependent on such an announcement, including security assistance. Quid meet quo. There it is. The Biden stuff for the money. Now, things were obviously bad for Donald Trump before today. Donald Trump admitted he wanted the Biden probe from Ukraine. His chief of staff admitted to a quid pro quo last week, tried to walk it back. So if you say, OK, Ari, what is different about this today, this repetition, if you will? Well, it is worse because this is the person on the inside detailing the facts and the time and the place of the quid pro quo. And what happened next? We know a little bit about this as well today. Taylor then told the Congress that he asked Sondland, that Trump loyalist, to push back and try to stop this whole money for investigation idea. 
And Sondland allegedly said he would try, but then later said Trump was adamant that Zelensky himself had to clear things up and do it in public. And despite Sondland texting a Trumpian denial, the plan was still either Ukraine and Zelensky did this and commit to clear things up in public or there would be a stalemate. So if Trump admits to the goal, get the probe to help him in 2020, and Mulvaney admits to the method, demand a quid pro quo bribe, what's new tonight, why this is a bombshell, is that today Ambassador Taylor confirmed the incriminating how, exact conversation and timing and details for getting it done. Rarely do you see this in the light of day, in black and white, the operational details for what many experts believe is a crime, or what Mulvaney insists is just foreign policy. Get over it. And there's one more difference between Donald Trump and Mulvaney over here and Ambassador Taylor here today. They admitted incriminating things and then still defend them. Taylor's detailing some of the same things. He's not defending them today. He's against them. He's sounding an alarm. He is trying to stop that plot. He tried at the time in writing, and he's trying to stop any further such plots today. You might say he's blowing the whistle. And finally, here is how he told Congress about his now famous warning in those text messages. Quote, I said withholding security assistance in exchange for help with a domestic political campaign would be crazy. I believed that then, and I still believe that. He's staking it. So there we have it. Quite clear evidence now supporting... Um, well, what, people, well, what Trump said well, that came was nonsense. On the flight back... Because just before I left, where when I left the States, um, Mick Mulvaney had, had just gone and committed Harry Carey, basically. He'd, he'd just gone in front of the press and gone, yeah, 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 it was quid pro quo. Yeah, we did withhold the money in exchange for an investigation. If they didn't investigate the Bidens, get over we were going to give him. Yeah, get over it. It happens all the time. You, it, politics always come into this. And then somebody quite rightly pointed out to Donald Trump, you, you guys just got you pretty much ooh, 15 years in prison there with what he's just said. And then he apparently went absolutely ballistic and then sent him out. They sent everybody else out on damage control. They all had the talking points, as you were getting used to by now. Yeah. And then you had Mick Mulvaney explain what he meant and it was kind of like um, the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen because you've got a person it, it, what he said was black and white he said yes we did withhold the money to the Ukraine in exchange for a political favour he didn't use the words quid pro quo but that is what quid pro quo is you do you do an action promise a benefit in exchange for something in return that is quid pro quo that is it in a nutshell and he admitted to it then he said oh no that's not what i meant i there was no quid pro quo and 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 then that was how it left it but the damage was done there are so many republicans now even moscow mitch mcconnell as Sort of, mm, I've got a yeah. clip talking about what the actually yeah, uh, flips at the moment. And he's we'll very nervous now, and I, you, Trump can't rely on him now in the Senate. Child, I've just listened I to a so. podcast on by the Guardian about um, 
about Trump, obviously, a bit, a little bit of research before we mm. did this programme, and it's stating that has he lost friends with Fox News? Uh, Fox could because he's said a few things already, yeah. and, and maybe if he loses that arm... He, he threatened him last week. He, yeah. he, he, he threatened, uh, he hinted at a lack of access and that he'd, and that the the station would be completely destroyed. Yeah. if they, that, Because that it, oh, it's only getting the ratings it's getting because of its relationship with him. That's what he, him and his colleagues have been battering. brings with. us back to what we were talking about earlier, really, how things have changed in the time period we've been doing the show about how the, how you need... I mean, we talk about uh, here, Brexit, and, and the regulations we'd lose because of the EU yeah. and also We lost all the regulations in media in America. Yeah. They used to have this thing where you have to have 15 minutes of both sides talking mm-hmm. in equal. They lost, deregulated it. Uh, and what happened? No, it's a free-for-all. Free it's for a free-for-all. And here, that's just a world full of lies. Yeah. Well, here... We, we need laws. We need regulations. Well, we, you need something. Bankers do. You need something. Oh, bankers. Life, well, bankers, look what happens when they do Otherwise, it turns into a tribal world, uh, and which it has turned into now. Yeah, but ironically, isn't it strange that the these rich bankers, that, that the left-wing Democrats and the progressive Democrat arm, hate so much... All the financial crisis that happened in 2008 could have been averted if if Bill Clinton, of all people, mm. their 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 holy grail um, two term president who was who won by one of the biggest landslides in political history, they uh, got rid of Glass-Steagall, which was the uh, the the law that stated you cannot dick about with your clients monies if they give you money that is clearly for investment and for um, making profits fine you can use that for that you can buy shares you can speculate you can you can buy forex um, you can sell forex you can get future contracts but if you have taken money off a client that's for savings and it is a savings account you're not allowed to touch it you can't start dicking about with that, it's, and and that's it. But Clinton got rid of it, and look what happened. And uh, can I say that we're no more secure now than when that crash no, happened? No, we're no. no more secure now. No, no, and, and it's clear that people have gone for greed. And uh, to be honest, you, I hate to sit on this like a high horse and say people are greedy everywhere, but people they always are. have. But they, they are, are greedy. People in general are so. Certain people, once they seem to achieve something, they just want more and more and don't give back. And it's there's me, no end to it. It's not about communities, then, is it? It's not about sharing, helping, and getting along with people and enjoying your life. It's about insular way of living. I think. Well, so, well I'll tell you what. What case uh, sort of highlights where you are? Uh, this is an American situation. Yeah. Um, look at this uh, college scandal. Which I one? mean, the, Which well, one? yeah, but the yeah. The, the overarching uh, investigation. She, yeah. You had you've got two famous actresses. One, uh, Huffman, Felicity Huffman was was in actors, mate. One you can't use the word actresses. I use the word actresses. You can't. Yeah, well, I do. Okay, because I don't care. And um, all that sort of nonsense is where this is why you end up with Donald Trump when you start doing that. Um, the the problem here, you had Felicity Huffman, was a very famous actress, Desperate Housewives, one of the number one shows in, in America for quite some time. It was a huge rating set, very famous. She's obviously got a lot of money, and she pays money so that a numbskull 
daughter can get in a better school. So her numbskull daughter can't just take the normal tests because she wasn't doing that well academically. So she paid money to cheat. And that explains the situation perfectly. The next one up, um, they've actually upped the ante now. The ones that didn't plead guilty, like Huffman pleaded guilty. She thinks she's got 14 days in prison and a fine and two years probation, whatever. But but her career is absolutely banjaxed. It's it's yeah. done. Yeah. Now, the, other, um, the others thought they'd lawyer up and take it right to the trial and do that. Well, guess what? It's backfired right in the greedy little moshers. It's They have indicted them with 11 more charges. Every single person that didn't plead guilty to the college scandal has ended up, OK, thanks, well, she's got 14 days. By the time this is over, you lot are going to beg to have 14 days in prison because you're going to be looking at 10. And they've got 11 indictments now and some of it's very serious and it tips it over to the point where you start getting a decade or two in prison. And one of them, uh, one of the actresses, um, she played the daughter-in-law in in, um, Full House, the sitcom. Anybody remembers that? I don't know. I can't remember her her name. But it's a famous American sitcom. And... Yeah, she's she's looking at a long time in prison now. Now all of this lot, they were, it was a circle, it was a, a, an understood thing where rich people would pay a fixer to literally go and um, hack into college transcripts, give them the grades they needed to get to the university or as they call them their college that that they wanted. You know, you can get into Harvard because you've you your mum's paid one hundred and fifty grand to donation. Uh, you know, donation. Yeah, yeah. and it, this is what I mean. Rich people think they're above the law, and you've got somebody and in the generally, White House with the speaking, same mentality. They are. It's only the very few who get caught. But in, back in, in, in and we're talking about the states. Yeah, but it's nice to see one or two on the spit ropes like it's, this, it's, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a clip here and it's about would the Senate change because people have said you know it's okay um, impeachment for Trump he'll just go to Senate and he'll, he won't go, won't go any further that's it that's it over and done with but sure yeah perhaps things may change have a listen you should never say never you should also never say mayonnaise is good because you would be dead wrong The argument goes something like this. Sure, the House might impeach President Donald Trump sometime later this year for his pressure campaign against the Ukrainians. But the Senate is never going to convict him and remove him from office. So what's the point? Subtle brand reinforcement there. See what I did? (laughs) Now, that conventional wisdom does make some sense because, well, math. There are 53 Republicans in the Senate currently and 47 Democrats when you count independents who also caucus with Democrats. Now, in order to remove Trump from office, 67 senators would have to vote to do so, meaning you would need every Democrat and a 20-person Republican revolt. Not very likely. Or is it? Okay, here's what I know. Trump's election and presidency proves this. Never assume anything. 
politics, especially in this age of social media and of our first reality TV president, both A, moves really fast, and B, is massively unpredictable. And it's not just that we live in unpredictable times. It's that the looming cloud of an election tends to change things significantly. So with 2020 almost here, Republicans are now in actual danger of losing their Senate majority next November. Consider these numbers. 23 Republicans are up for re-election next November as compared to just 12 Democrats. If Democrats can net three seats and win the White House, or four seats if Trump gets re-elected, they retake control of the Senate. Now, of those 23 Republicans, only two, that's Maine Susan Collins and Colorado's Cory Gardner, hold seats that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. But, and this is important, a slew of other potentially vulnerable Republicans sit in states where Trump won by only single digits. And that list includes Arizona's Martha McSally, Georgia's David Perdue, Iowa's Joni Ernst, Texas's John Cornyn, and the open seat being vacated by Johnny Isaacson in Georgia. Now, in normal political circumstances, people like Cornyn likely don't have all that much to worry about, but we are not in normal political circumstances. Donald Trump's job approval is in the low 40s at best. A recent Fox News poll showed a majority of Americans support the impeachment and removal of the president from office. Which, of course, doesn't mean that Cornyn or Ernst or Purdue are in immediate peril. What it does mean, though, is that those senators, in addition to Cory Gardner and Susan Collins, are going to be very, very aware of even slight changes in the political environment in regards impeachment. And if you look around, cracks within the GOP have already begun to emerge in the issue. Florida Congressman Francis Rooney said he would consider supporting a formal impeachment inquiry and then promptly announced his retirement. Former Ohio Governor John Kasich, a longtime Trump critic, supports the impeachment and removal of Trump. Utah Senator Mitt Romney told The Atlantic that he is preparing for the possibility of a Senate trial of Trump, but added, quote, at this stage, I am strenuously avoiding trying to make any judgment, end quote. That must be strenuous. Now, even South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, who has been one of Trump's most loyal and outspoken allies, acknowledged recently to Axios that he is keeping an open mind on the issue. If you could show me that, you know, Trump actually was engaging in a quid pro quo outside the phone call, that would be very disturbing. So what those cracks suggest is that if this impeachment inquiry starts to look worse and worse for Trump, it's not all that unreasonable then that the most endangered of Senate incumbents could break away in an attempt to save their own political careers. So playing this out, stay with me here. Let's say five-ish Republican senators led by Susan Collins and Cory Gardner did indicate they would vote to remove Trump from office. Okay, What's to say that the pragmatic elements of the party, I'm talking about Alaska's Lisa Murkowski, Missouri's Roy Blunt, Florida's Marco Rubio, Nebraska's Ben Sass, and yes, Utah's Mitt Romney, wouldn't sense Trump's weakness and jump at the chance to get him out. Notice that there are lots and lots of Republican senators who have studiously avoided saying anything at all about Trump and Ukraine so far, holding their powder and all that. So the question then would become, What is the tipping point at which all but the most loyal Trump allies in the Senate, or those in states where Trump remains beloved, are willing to come out against him? Now, that tipping point may be hard to imagine right now, especially given that congressional Republicans have kowtowed to President Trump at every turn over his first three years in office. But there is always a tipping point in politics, a moment past which the impossible 
suddenly seems sort of inevitable. Again, and I can't say this strongly enough, we are not there yet. And if past his prologue with Republicans' blind allegiance to Trump, we may never get there. But anyone who tells you we will never get there must have forgotten, well, the last four years or so. And that. Uh, so, your thoughts, Mike, firstly? He's done. He's toast. You think it's over? Yep, they, that testimony yesterday was terrible. And I'll give you my reasons why I think that he is beyond help now. The the we've got some earlier examples of this of impeachment and when clinton was being impeached the the public support for impeachment was in the foys it was it, mm. it, some people were pissed off because he'd been doing what he did with a young person and they thought it was wrong that he'd lied about it or certainly covered it up he that that was that I mean, they, that was and never going to end up with anything other than... Do you remember how he fought it? Yeah, I remember it, yeah. Do I tell you? Yeah, go on. He went down the road of this. Um, it, when he was high up in the degrees of, like, when it went absolutely crazy, he concentrated on how well he had done with the business and yeah. the economy. That's right, yeah. Uh, it's, it's the just, economy, stupid. It, yeah, he just yeah. went for it, went for it, went for yeah. it, kept repeating it and repeating yeah. and repeating it until people sort of... Well, it's only a blowjob. Yeah, well, blowjob. What's, what's but at the end of the day, that is that is the, the, there and is the limited danger from that blowjob. Though that blowjob isn't going to cause a war. That blowjob was never going to destroy the American society as they knew it, and and they knew that it was more of a personal flaw of an individual rather than criminal activity. The you know, there's a big difference between somebody embezzling, stealing, robbing, fraud, whatever, than somebody, you know, having an affair with, with a young girl. You know, it, it's not great. It's a It shows really bad judgment and character, but it doesn't mean that they're a criminal. It just means that they're weak-minded and stupid. Now, the situation that you could... The, the only one you can go to because... The very first impeachment nearly got there, but it's that long ago that you can't really go on about that because it's it's not got a connection to modern society. So we have to look at Watergate. So when Mueller was performing his investigation and up to the point when he released it, the polls were 40% for impeachment and there were 8% undecided and 52% against impeachment. When Nixon, that they, those are the polls for Trump, when Mueller investigation are just nearing its conclusion. Now, when I left the US, the latest polls were 52% for impeachment, okay. 6% undecided, and only 40-something, 42% against. That's pretty bad. That's really bad. Now, I'll give you the similar figures for Nixon. When Nixon was being investigated over Watergate, initially, it was very similar. The polls were 40% for impeachment. When the, um, the, the hearing started, impeachment started... 
it rose to 51%. But when the tape was revealed, when the tape was revealed and it, uh, you had a, a tape recording of Nixon literally on the phone covering up the burglary and his knowledge of it, it shot up to 58% for impeachment. Okay. And at that point, the Republican Party sent... They, they were they, they, uh, He then did the Saturday Night Massacre and where he, he sacked Attorney General, Assistant Attorney General, went through about three, finally got one that would stick up for him. But then on the Monday, the Republican Party sent a team of three, three people and they just said to him, Mr President you've got to go because this is going for trial next week in the Senate and you've they've got the numbers. With two-thirds, right. Right. above two-thirds okay. of the Senate are going to impeach you. So I'm saying to you now that there's your yardstick. Okay. Around about the high 50s for impeachment with the public would mean that those people in the swing states, the swing senators, would end up like turkeys voting for christmas so so they rather would rather go one little spanner in the work that testimony yesterday that implicates pence mike pence the vice president how this works for anyone who who doesn't understand the u.s and and the uh, system of government is this you have three people in line direct to to it you've got the president if they die or are removed from office the vice president takes over if they die or are removed from office the speaker of the house takes over now back back in um, the 70s when watergate you know, did when nixon resigned gerald ford his vice president took over and but he wasn't in any way implicated he had nothing to do with Watergate. Mike Pence got involved in this ridiculous crap that's been going on in the Ukraine. So I say all bets are off, but I don't think that you can survive the testimony that I heard yesterday. Shall we listen to what Donald Trump thinks about it, shall we? Oh, yeah. Let's have a listen. But first... The news. There's been a turning during the last two weeks. It's now inevitable that the U.S. House of Representatives, led by a great, even historic speaker, is going to call the roll on an article of impeachment and it will pass. It's inevitable, too, that Senate Republicans will be called to a reckoning in the trial over whether an impeached president should remain in office another year. Whether he remains beyond that, of course, beyond next year is a decision that lies before the American people. But even the president now seems to acknowledge the inescapable truth that impeachment is inevitable. Do you believe that it's a foregone conclusion that the House will impeach? Well, I think they want to. Uh, any Democrat wants to because they're not going to beat me in the election. So, of course, they want to impeach. Why wouldn't they want to impeach me? It's so it's so illegitimate that it cannot be the way the founders, our great founders, meant this to be. But no, impeachment, uh, they, they want to impeach and they want to do it as quick as possible. So there we have it. Yeah, he I knows. just yeah yeah. I'd like to say, he is the person that the founding fathers 
were worried about. He is the living embodiment of that person that they built the Constitution to defend against. I want to put this to you, though, Mike. I think he would go to absolute extremes... And we should do all I mean, we talk about extremes, but I think it'll go even further. I think he'll even shut down government to fight this. No, it just doesn't the power. I mean, the the I, powers of the president. He'll find emergency, some emergency clause to close it down. No, he won't. He, he won't. I'm, I'm telling you, this is my theory. I'm going to stick to him. No, he won't. You're mad. Well, he, he, he won't do that because he's out of he's out of rope. What you've and he also also to had this. Like the clip we played before, the public opinion won't change while he's on Twitter. My thoughts are, while he's on Twitter, because that loyal base, because imagine this, you've gone along supporting Trump all the time, and people have been calling you stupid, stupid, stupid for supporting him, but you'll say, no, 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 this is Trump, 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 Trump. It comes along that he is totally guilty, uh, uh, and if you go back on your words now and say, oh, he's guilty... People say, I told you so. Nobody likes being told I told you so. They'll stick to it. Generally speaking, there's divided that campaign between people who aren't very very intelligent and people who are in it for the money. Uh, They'll stick to it. They'll keep a solid base. Yeah, he'll keep that base. base. But but as I said to you before, you've only got to start hitting the high 50%. And that base that you're talking about That's in the world going past, not now. It's a different world, Mike. No, it's it's not a different world, though. It's not, because the same amount of people will come to the same conclusion. When there are people that are reasonable Republicans out there that are right-wing and they hate the Democrats and they think they're, you know, for many reasons, some of which... I probably agree with myself, but the at the end of the day, where that testimony was terrible yesterday. I mean, it sounded like the sort of testimony you hear at a RICO hearing for a gangster. Yeah, and that's what it is. Right, we've only got fifteen minutes left of the show. I'm going to play this little clip first um, of our friend. Hastily agreed ceasefire comes after the House of Representatives formally condemned Trump's Syria withdrawal by a vote of 354 to 60, including over 100 Republicans in the House. Here's the latest. It's difficult to know which is Trump's moment of the week, really, isn't it? Betraying his allies in the fight against ISIS or hosting next year's G7 meeting at one of his golf resorts. He doesn't give a fuck. Does he? he doesn't give a shit. It, it's actually quite impressive. Insane, but impressive. But, you know, he does it anyway, because, let's face it, he's the fucking president, isn't he? What are you, you going to do? You know, three years of getting away with this shit, you know, and no one, no one can stop him. Clearly, because he's still fucking there. No one's got him yet, and the other side still haven't got their shit together. It's a fucking embarrassment. They still don't know if they have anyone who can beat Donald Trump. So he just carries on spouting nonsense and racist dog whistles and non sequiturs and half finished, you know, whether it be condemning thousands of his own allies to death or deciding to become the next Silla Black. You've never met the killer of your teenage son. Well, surprise, surprise, she's in the next room with a load of press photographers. Surprise, surprise. This is how Donald Trump thinks the world works. It's a TV show. 
This is how his brain works. He thought that was a good idea. Two grieving parents, you say, and a major diplomatic row with our closest ally. Let's have a photo op. Hashtag sad. He's an ideas guy. You know, he's, he's full of them. He's full of them. Nuking tornadoes, locking up brown children in cages, arming teachers. Like he says himself, his is a great and unmatched wisdom. You know, he's the wizard of fucking Oz, especially when it comes to foreign policy. You know, probably not the first president to start a war by running away, but he is the first president to condemn thousands of his own allies to death while sat taking a dump and fucking about on Twitter. Fuck em. They didn't help us in Normandy, did they? And where were they during the American Revolution? Fuck em. He didn't even give the Kurds the courtesy of a fucking heads up. Guys, you're about to get slaughtered. I'll give you to the count of ten. What a bastard. What a bastard. A man who would rather listen to Fox News than his generals. A commander-in-chief whose own state and defence departments call it a disaster for regional stability and the fight against Islamist extremism, whilst Trump called the decision strategically brilliant, claiming this hastily begged-for ceasefire was the plan all along. Bullshit! It is strategically brilliant for Vladimir Putin. Why does Trump prefer to help his enemies rather than his allies? Who gives a shit if thousands of ISIS fighters are let back out into the world? Because they'll just be heading to Europe. Who gives a shit? He treats his allies like shit. Whereas Putin, Erdogan, ISIS are continually rewarded. Not forgetting Kim Jong-un, a brutal dictator to whom Trump seems to enjoy giving a sloppy blowjob once every six months. And now he's thanked Erdogan and called this a great day for civilization. Watch this space civilization because what we're about to witness is nothing short of US state sanctioned ethnic cleansing. Behold his great and unmatched wisdom. <clears throat> Thank you. Well, back in Washington, it was business as usual as the president and the speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Ah, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Right, let's have a little bit of this. Wonderful. Uh, just speaker John Burkow, um, who has cheered me up this year. He's the only thing that's cheered me up. Yeah. Um, uh, well, he's not took any guff, has he? He's, he's listened to it. He's bollocked him when they were yep. straying off. He, he's and, and you know what? He's a Tory, <clears throat> but he's... Uh, yeah. He's quite centrist, and he's, and he's very even-handed. You've been away for a few weeks, Mike, mm. and um, things have changed since mm. you've been away. Um, you know, uh, but there's been confusion. We talked about it earlier in the show. Been confusion on the votes from last oh, night. Oh, last night. I, I don't. We have literally ten minutes left. Ten minutes left of the show. I would yeah. love you to throw your thoughts into the bucket and explain to people what's really going on. Right. What happened last night was Boris Johnson decided to have a vote to hear the details of the bill. This isn't to pass the um, his Brexit deal. That's what people are confused about. They think that he won a vote to pass his Brexit deal. No. When you are going through a bill and it's being formed, you have a number of readings where then you give the opposition and any other parties a point to raise an amendment or overturn parts of it or alter it. And then finally, you get the bill and then 
you do the vote on it. And then it goes to royal assent and then it becomes law. So last night, he won the right to go to a second reading of the the agreement that he's got with the EU, which by all standards, anybody who's read it says is actually more no deal than the one that Theresa May had. This is worse for Britain in many ways and still doesn't solve the Northern Ireland progress. Uh, It's a massive problem. Having a border in Northern Ireland will kick off the problems again. So you you then, uh, he wins the vote and people were, you know, pleased about that and cheering and, you know, he won it by a fair few votes actually. And then the next one facts. yeah but yeah. but here's the thing i said it's a hearing so then you'd have another reading another reading and in normal circumstances a bill of this stature would probably be bouncing around the house of commons for around about 30 days so that it's passed back and forth amendments are proposed voted against or added oh, to oh, yeah. and that's it cuz cuz for all you know they if this goes to uh, as the correct amount of time, somebody could do like the Oliver Letwin bill, which meant that uh, you know it, 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 we can't have a no deal. The uh, Ben bill, which again st- prompted him to ask for an extension and then send a letter saying he didn't want one. What an asshole! Um, I'm not actually sure he's not in contempt of Parliament for that, but they they're looking into that now. They. The uh, next step is the amount of time. Say, say it was given the thirty days. It, Boris Johnson was worried that that someone would table an amendment and go, "This agreement we're happy with, but it only gets enacted after a public vote, offering this deal, staying or leaving with no deal, yeah. a three part uh, yeah. thing, and that that is the very likely outcome. He knew that, and he knew." that the best way of doing this is to limit limit the discussion of the most important piece of legislation in peacetime since World War Two. He wanted to limit it to three fucking days, and that's why this went so wrong. So last night, yeah, they voted to pass it, to go to another reading, which could mean it would be voted down at that point anyway. But they've now disagree they've just gone and said nah we're not we're not having your timetable so he's now asked for the extension now the eu have basically said that they're minded to go with the request under the ben act which was a three month delay to the end of january now if they but what i'm hearing on the inside is that they're going to go for what is called a flex extension which means that they're going to say, you leave on the 31st of January or the 1st of Feb or whatever, adding the days on that this is going to take, but you have the unilateral right to leave to, earlier. to leave earlier if you right. have your agreement sorted out, a flex extension. Now if, you, now, if they come back with that, then the Prime Minister's got two choices. He can go for a general election, which at that point we can actually have because... Labour and everybody else, they they know that we can't crash out of the EU until the end of January. So we've got time to have a December election, and that and that can happen. Now, if that happens and they come back with a landslide, 
God help us, because they're going to push through then the worst possible. That that deal will get pushed through then at that point. And you've got five years of Tories wrecking the national health and embracing the fact that we're then a renegade, rogue nation all on our own and we can do whatever the hell we want. And I'll tell you, the rights and rules and regulations included in this withdrawal act, the agreement with uh, the EU, means that the British government can ignore all employment legislation and protections and food protections and so many other things. Chlorinated chicken for everyone. Chlorinated chicken. That's what you're going to be chowing down yeah. on. Hormone, hormone flavoured beef. Direct yep. from Texas. Yep. Wonderful. Cannot wait. Tastes good, though. Tastes good, no doubt. No doubt in that. Right. The talk of... I mean, we've got a little, little few minutes left. Um, I get letters, emails all the time and be prepared for an election very soon. When will the election happen or will it not happen? I think that we've got more chance of an election now in December and it's weird time for us to have an election because in December Scotland is very dark and very cold and at that point of the year you will have the lowest turnout possible and it is massively in the interests of Boris Johnson to have an election in December because he wants the the Scottish vote suppressed as much as possible and that's why I think that he will go for one in December hoping that all these Scots who don't want to be out of the EU are going to just go oh I can't be bothered it's a bit cold out you reckon that's it? yeah so that's you, his plan you say, you say his de- plan. De- December yeah. for election yeah I do yeah. an election will happen I think it will now yeah because there there is no way that he's going to get this agreement through properly without an amendment for a for a people's vote unless he goes for a general election if he gets that then he if he had a 70 seat majority now he could get that bill through yeah as it is yeah. we could leave the eu with this vague sort of deal that he's cooked up and there will be no public vote and and that's it now final thing on this and if there is an election in december will the brexit party influence the tory vote yeah they will they will now yeah there's no doubt now. Things have changed that much. I think that that Jeremy Corbyn has fucked this country up so badly with the way that he's handled this. And can I say the those thirty Tories? He didn't bring the, on those thirty. This. Um, the thirty Tory, sorry, the thirty Labour MPs that voted for that agreement last night are already being made look stupid because today a social media campaign hit Facebook. And it had uh, a two, two-pronged. The top part of the advert was Boris Johnson all in blue. And it said, uh, yes, he's managed to secure an agreement with the EU. Yeah. And then the bottom part was, and Jeremy Corbyn is, is blocking it and acting against the interests of the UK. So congratulations, you 30 wankers that voted for that agreement last night. You, you're a disgrace. And I hope you lose your seat. I hope you lose your career. You're a mess. On that note, we'll say goodbye. I thank you for listening. Please tell everybody everybody about our podcast and share if you would. Uh, My name's Paul Ripley. And I'm Mike Royce. And we'll see you next week.